Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. We continue our episode with Natalie sharing about how she advocates for those who do not have a voice or a seat at the table, and also her work with the Senior Lifestyle Corporation. The protest that I led, that's the first time I've ever even protested. And I, it's just, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of having to of having to be mindful of everything, every single article of clothing I put on when I go to work or leave my house. And I'm just, I'm tired of having to go above and beyond to prove why I can't sit at the table with my peers because I get judged immediately because one, I'm a female and second, because I'm a minority, right? I'm tired of not getting the same opportunities and chances as so many other people get. And it's exhausting. And, and, and working in the environment that I work in, 90% of the team members that we have here are all minorities. And, and I have to advocate for them. I have to, because I, I am an immigrant. I, that is me. I'm just fortunate that I have this position in this title and I've had these opportunities, but I'm only going to be as good as the weakest link in my, I'm only going to be as good as, I'm never going to be great unless other people have opportunities to tap into the potential that they have. And so I have to advocate for them. I have to try to help them get the power because if we all have a little bit of power, we will all be powerful. And and people get so uncomfortable when you say give power to the people. You know, they don't understand what that means. And so, you know, I had to seek out knowledge and information and say, when we give power to people, we all become powerful. And when I heard that, I mean, I was so moved by hearing that. And I feel like I need to do whatever I can with whatever I can to help people get more power. And if that means I need to go to protest or I need to write letters and make phone calls, I need to do it. And I feel compelled to do it because if I just sit on the sidelines, well, I might as well be that person who's causing the harm. And I don't want to be associated with those people who are making mindful decisions to cause harm to humans, you know, I don't want to be on that on that side of history. I want to be that person that's like, what can I do? Because even my little, my little, the little I'm doing, I know it's feeding into something so much bigger and so much more powerful than just me. You know, like, and I, and 
we have so far to go. We have so far to go. And I'm exhausted because I don't know what, where to spend my energy. Am I advocating for women's rights? Am I advocating for minorities? Am I advocating for homelessness, healthcare? Like where, I don't even know. Cause it's just like, how have we gotten to where we are? It's just all a pile of just garbage. How did we get here? And it's like, where do, where do we focus our energy? And it's so exhausting to know and like every day, it's just, oh God. It's like, I go, a, a day goes by and some, there's not this m- mega headline. I'm like, oh, is everything okay in the world? Cause I've just so got so conditioned to like every day, something traumatic happening. And then <laughs> today was a classic day. What's actually going on? But, no, I have to use my influence to the best of my ability. And, um, and it's actually been really interesting. I've had a lot of, because, you know, I am white as much as I am black. Um, a lot of my white family members have come to me and been like, nah, what can I do? And they've said, and they've been honest, like, I don't feel comfortable protesting. And I said, that's fine. If you don't want to be out there protesting. I said, but when you hear somebody making a racist joke, you've got to tell them that that's wrong. Get people to get out and vote, you know, put a sign on your door. There's so many, uh, you know, write letters and make phone calls. You don't need to be out there protesting if that doesn't make you feel comfortable. There's so many other ways that you can be your ally. Um, and, and you just have to be creative about it. But I said the easiest thing is, is when you hear some horrible joke, call that person out. Don't laugh. You know, make them feel stupid for thinking that that racist joke is okay. So that's a huge win, you know, for, for our cause. And, um, you know, and I, I don't even know if my boyfriend would be comfortable with me sharing this with, with you guys, but I'm going to anyways, but, uh, you know, working from home, we were on conference calls all day and every Thursday with his company, they, they have like, kind of like a, pa- like a, not power hour, social hour. And they talk about different topics. And my boyfriend is the, very well respected in, in, in his field. And he is a white male and they were talking, I, I don't remember exactly what they were talking about. Oh, June is, uh, making that a holiday. And he said, I absolutely, he goes, one, I'm so disappointed that I never knew about this, but now that I do know about it, it needs to be recognized and it needs to be, you know, a national holiday. And, you know, we need to commemorate this and thing. And I just, I, I, was in tears and because I and I told him I said Ryan you used your influence and your power in such an amazing way that you did having this conversation with your other white peers was so powerful you know you probably made people think about things in such a different way and for them to have heard it from a white male I think kind of stop them in their tracks because they're expecting me to say it. You know what I'm, you know, do you get what I'm saying? They're expecting me to say it, but they're not expecting him to say it. And I'm like, I, I, I just was, I couldn't, I, 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 I'm, I was so proud of him. I was so proud of him because it was like, I forced him to say it. You know, he came, he's, he's advocating for me and for all other women and all other minorities in his own way. And, using his influence to the best of his ability. And I appreciate that so much. And so when my, my white family members come to me, I share that story about what Ryan did. And I said, that's what I need you guys to do. Don't feel like you have to protest. 
if that doesn't make you comfortable, there's still ways that you can be your ally. And, and, and I hope they protest one day, but if they don't, that's okay. But just be my ally. Just get out there and vote and advocate for change. That's what I need. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you, you shared that story about your boyfriend. Um, I was having conversation with some friends the other day and, and, you know, we were talking about what's different about this time in history right now versus other times when people have protested, um, you know, when things have happened and caused a, a more national uprising, like what, it, what's different about now. And obviously, you know, I think coronavirus plays somewhat into that because people are stuck at home most of the day. And so the frustrations kind of the tensions rise just naturally. But I think, you know, one of the things that I shared with them that was really encouraging to me and that was really just really stood out to me was uh, that when you see people protesting or when you see people, you know, standing up for what's right um, and against what's wrong, there are so many more white people that are doing that. There are so many white, more white people protesting. There are so many more white people saying, send letters, you know, sharing stories of, of people of color on social media. Um, you know, just really, you see this genuine sort of empathy from the white community, or at least I have. And to me, I look at that and say, like, that's how we can create changes by not yeah. just us sharing our voice, which certainly we should, and certainly we should do that loudly and proudly. But I think also it's other people saying, you know, human rights is, yeah. yeah, human rights is not an issue. It, it's just something that should be. And so that's one mm -hmm. thing that's, that's been really awesome for me to see is just, you know, people of all nationalities, ethnicities, colors mm -hmm. are, are trying to educate themselves and do what's right. And I think, um, you know, for people who ask me, like, well, I don't even know where to start. You know, I tell them you have to start with educating yourself yeah. before you can do anything else. Otherwise, it's either going to be fruitless or it's going to it's going to seem to other people like it's more about you than it is about the cause. Um, and so you mentioned that you had organized a protest. Can you just share with us a little bit about, you know, how you came to the decision to do that and then what that uh, organization was like for you? So, um, I kept seeing a lot of protests happening and I, and of course, the news was scaring me with just highlighting all of the violence that was going on. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be part of the violence. Um, I understand why that violence happened. Like, I understand why that happened. Um, but I wanted to do something. And uh, my, my, my community has this Facebook page and on a random Tuesday, I just said, does anyone want to po protest with me? It somehow it just spun into, okay, let's just meet me here at four o'clock. And I met in corners in my neighborhood. I thought maybe 15 people were going to show up. I probably had about a hundred and we did a very quick walk, a very quick protest down to a park. 
And then um, for nine minutes, we chanted, I can't breathe. And when that first protest happened, that's when a lot of protests were happening. And within two minutes of us starting to walk, there was like police cars, there was cops on bikes. I was so intimidating. And it was like a group of like a hundred of us. And I was the only black person there. Everyone else was white. So I'm like, what do you guys think these white people are going to do? I'm like, you me, hate me, you know? And we did this, this first protest on Tuesday and we you know, went to this park and it was so powerful because for nine minutes, you know, we chanted, I can't breathe. And during that protest, so many people came up to me and said, and when I had posted it on that Facebook page, they said, are you going to do another one for this community? Are you going to do another one for our little community? And I, and I said, sure, let's do it. So um, I pulled one together, a larger one, about 2,000 people participated and we walked in the neighborhood of Bucktown. Um, again, I didn't think that many people were going to show up because I was like, okay, we're just all going to be on the sidewalk. And we had so much volume that we overtook the street and um, we did about a mile um, in my neighborhood and um, it was so inspiring. And at the, we went to that same, we ended at the same park. We started at Wicker Park and then ended at uh, Churchill Park. And um, I spoke to the group and it was so inspiring and powerful. And, and when I had invited my neighbors, I said, you know, I live in this neighborhood, I own a condo, I pay taxes, and I'm tired of when I walk through my neighborhood, I have to overcompensate to make you feel comfortable with the color of my skin by making sure I acknowledge you and saying good morning. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired of feeling like I don't belong here because I belong here just as much as anybody else does. And so I'm inviting you to walk side by side with me in solidarity. And it was so well received. I had some people, you know, who were like, take this somewhere else and we don't want riots. And I said, our intention isn't to cause violence. It's just to come together. And and I think it, a lot of it, too, was for us to have a moment to mourn together, to mourn those that have been brutally murdered by police officers, but, but to mourn just how just to mourn, just to, to shed our tears together collectively and and know that we're not the only ones that want change. And, you know, I'm happy to see that the movement hasn't stopped and I've been asked to do yet another protest in our neighborhood and I'm absolutely going to do it uh, to give people opportunities to express themselves Um I think is really needed in, in my neighborhood of Bucktown. And I'm, I'm happy to be the one that's leading it and spearing it. And, and it's just so crazy. I, like I said, I've never protested. And then here I was leading two of my own protests, you know, like, and, and I, I will share this. I'm who my mom and my, my stepdad and like my family, they were terrified they were so terrified of now are you going to be targeted are you or, you know are you going to get hurt i mean it was it 
and I felt so horrible that I, you know, I caused them to have that angst or whatever. But I, I, I said, there's nothing that you guys can say to me that I'm not going to do this. And now, after even educating my own family about why this is so powerful, and I should give you some context, a lot immigrants were scared to do anything outside of the law. You know, like we don't, we just don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to possibly be deported, even though I never could be deported. I'm American, you know, I was born American, you know, but we're, we were, we're so, we follow the, you know, we don't want to cause any trouble. We, we, it, and that's where my parents were more coming. Like, is this going to cause us trouble that we might get kicked out of America? I'm like, nah. We're not going anywhere, you know. So I had to explain that to us. But that's the that's the that's the immigrant mentality. Uh, we we don't want to cause any trouble. We might have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, now my my mom's like, when's the next protest? I'm going to be right there with you, right? And I have to provide that education to her, um, and my, and you know, my my stepdad as well. But it it was. Um, I, I'm disappointed in myself. I haven't been to enough protests. Um, it's tough because I work in healthcare um, that I have to be so mindful of what social settings I'm in because I work with the vulnerable population, the elderly, that I don't want to be the one that potentially gets them sick. So that's the only reason why I have not participated as much as I wish I could, but I do can as much as I possibly can. Um, and, and I know that I'm not standing on the sidelines. It's just, I have to be very careful of the social settings that I put myself in. Yeah. I think we can all respect and appreciate that you're being that careful. Um, let's talk about your work for a little bit because we do want to talk about what you do there. And I think that would help give people context as well as to like how yeah. you make those decisions. Um, so just tell me about what you're doing now and about um, the people that you work with. So um, I work for a company that um, manages senior housing properties all across the United States. The division that I'm under is new development. So we actually build new properties um, all across the United States. And my Responsibility is to get buildings operational, compliant with the state regulations, federal regulations, get them operational, do all of the training and onboarding of all the team members, get them profitable. And then once they get profitable and they're stabilized, and I then move on to my next project. Um, so we work on, you know, I work on different projects at different stages um, throughout their, you know, the, the product cycle. Um, but we only work with the elderly, you know, 62 and older. Um, we have some that don't need any care assistance all the way to some, those that have um, a diagnosis of dementia and are in their end stages of life. Yeah, uh, I love what I do. I love what I do. It's very hard. It's extremely hard, <laughs> but it's extremely rewarding. Uh, so I'm really lucky to do what I do. I'm lucky that at my age, I feel like I am exactly where I'm supposed to be with my career. And I feel fulfillment when I go to work. And it's not just, it's not just a job. It's, it's my, it, 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 I eat, breathe and live what I do. And I, I just love it. I absolutely love it. It's, it's, it is work, but it's very rewarding. 
very rewarding what I did. Is do. that something that came right away um, when you started in this role or is it something that's built up or how did that come? How did that feeling sort of come to you? Well, I have always been like a humanitarian kind of person. Even, you know, when I was in grade school, I was constantly volunteering. I was constantly finding opportunities on how to give back and to serve other people, going on mission trips, leading Bible studies, and just doing whatever I could to to be more of a, to, to serve people. I, I, I get a lot of joy and fulfillment being around people and, and bringing them joy and happiness. I, it, it feeds my soul. And I've been like that ever since I was little. Um, when I, when my first career out of college, I worked in sales, hated it, became a pathological liar, hundred percent commission, hated it, learned a lot, but hated it became, um, Unfortunately, my dad became ill and I was his primary caregiver. And um, through the 11 months of in and out of hospitals, I learned that you could go back to school and become a registered nurse. And so I I went down that path, became a registered nurse. And that it, I loved it, but not as much as I thought I was going to, <laughs> to be honest. And I was recruited to be um, an executive director. Well, it was called general manager of a new construction property in um, in Canada. And that is when my first boss inspired me to love what I do and taught me how you can build communities that are focused on positivity and engagement and giving team members and residences, residents who live in our communities opportunities to keep growing and learning and connecting in that individuals and, you know, stereotypical, stereotypically people in this, that live in these types of settings, you know, they get stripped away from interacting with children and animals and pets and laughter. And she really taught me how you can, that's not the way we should be doing it. Um, because people really do die from loneliness, boredom and isolation. And she's the one that inspired me and taught me that you can build amazing communities and just have them so full of life. And I, that she, she lit that candle and that candle is just burning. There are times when it is, I'm on fire. It's a flame. And there's times where I do need to step back because I'm, I'm so emotionally drained because I give so much and, you know, people are dying and it, and it, it's very stressful, but my, by real, the real, so she taught me, you know, how you could create these beautiful communities. If my dad were alive, he would be the perfect candidate to live in one of these communities. And during my um, experience with him in and out of hospitals, I saw that we, we think that old people should just be quiet, kind of be in the corner, die, don't make us feel uncomfortable. And, you know, we strip away so much of who they are from them. We reduce them to just their diagnosis, to 
you know, their medication. We forget that they were children at one point, that their fathers, cousins, uncles, brothers, business people, you know, you know, maybe they found the world, maybe they haven't, but we just reduce them to just a diagnosis. And we just, you know, we just want to keep them dry and fed and have a pulse. And that experience was just so heartbreaking because I knew my dad was so much more than his diagnosis and his disease. It just happened to be where he was in his life right now. And it shouldn't have been what defined him. And that experience of being in the hospital where it's just, you know, they did involve me and my sister and my mom in his care. We were sort of ostracized from participating in his care. It was very heartbreaking because Going through what we went through, it just didn't impact my father. It impacted all of us as a family unit. And, you know, in, in an instant, I went from being daddy's little girl to now I'm the mom in the situation. There's no handbook for it. There's no, you don't know what you're doing, no matter how much you prepare for it. And that experience from my dad, the experience of, my first position in this industry. And then with my upbringing of we, we respect our elders, we honor our elders. They, they are the ones that have paved the way for us. So with those three things together, that's what has inspired me to do what I do every day. And I love what I do and I'm so lucky and I feel honored that I get to do this. I feel honored that I get to inspire, that I might be inspiring other people, that I invite people to tap into the best sides of themselves when they come to work and that I, we're not, we, we aren't looking for people who are doing dumb things because if that were the case, I would never leave my office. I'm, I'm causing trouble all the time. We're here to try to get people to remember why they decided to be in the healthcare industry. And that's to serve others and to build relationships and to care for them and not just make sure that they have a pulse and that they need. It's so much more than that. And try to change that paradigm of thinking when it comes to elderly care. Um, and I want to be part of that change on a bigger, on, you know, on a bigger scale. But for right now, I'm doing it on a small scale and I'm just trying to master this and do it really, really good so that maybe one day I do have the opportunity to do it on a bigger scale um, because we really need to keep giving seniors opportunities to grow, to learn, to connect, to give back, um, and really to change our approach of care and how care is given to the, to the senior population. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's my passion. I have so much to learn. I barely know anything. I make up half the things that I do anyways, but it's all trial and error. And, and I think the reason why I have been so successful is because I, it's, it, I, I don't just say it. I live it. I breathe it. I eat it. It is who I am. Um, but there are days I don't want to come to work like everybody else. There's days I'm tired. There's days I'm frustrated. But overall, I love what I do. I love coming to work. Um, it's fun. It's exciting. And it's different every day. Um, so... Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's so it's just so inspiring to hear your passion um, for what you do and the people that you work with. Uh, I'm interested to hear about how you're able to inspire other people that you work with um, or that may work for you. Um, just how you create a culture of that in your workplace and how you see other people sort of cling on to that. So, um, you know, culture is so, it's so important. It's so important. And I start one because I am who I am and, uh, it's just, it's just part of my makeup, you know, it's part of my DNA. And I think people know that I, I am just genuine and authentic with it and that I'm not just selling Mm -hmm. them something. That I honestly believe it, and I want them to have that same opportunity to believe it like how I believe it. And so I feel like the way I inspire it is because I, when I say I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I'm living it. In every interaction that I have with somebody, I'm always going back to the why am I doing this and, and, and inviting people to do it. And I do a training, I do a culture training and I give them the tools for it and I hold them accountable every single day to why are we doing this? What are our expectations? I, I seek out opportunities to praise people for thinking out of the box, for being creative. I'm not punitive. You know, I'm not one of those people that's standing at the time clock. Like, why are you clocking me in right now? I'm flexible. I understand that, you know, in our industry, I'm mostly functioning great and that's okay. And that, you know, we do have rules and we do have standards and we do have guidelines. However, we have to try, we have to bend them sometimes and, and that's okay. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm given boundaries. I'm given, you know, the square boundaries because I have to follow our regulatory bodies. However, I will fill in that whole box. I will color, I will push the button and the envelope as much as I possibly can to get the results that I think that we should have. And just also trying to teach people how do I, you know, I, I, that's a, you know I, that's a really good question. I, how do I inspire people? I, I, I'm really going to have to think about this, but I think really it's because I'm not, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm quirky and I'm fun and I'm energetic and I'm not okay with status quo. And, um, but I think the reason people are inspired is because they know it's genuine. Um, and that they always know what they're going to get from me. And they know that I will work side by side with them. And I will never ask them to do something that I would be willing to do um, myself. And they see that I put in just as much work um, as they do. And a lot of times a lot more work, but um, that I do it side by side with them, that I'm right there in the trenches with them. And I think that that's what inspires them, that you can achieve a lot of success by being very attainable and being very relatable um, yeah, and being very empathetic. I'm, I think that my empathy actually is what has made me the most successful is I'm a very empathetic person. Um, 
to probably to a fault. You know, yeah, you know, because people do so. I, 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 and my sister will tell you, people do take advantage of me. Um, but I always try to look. I look at people. I, I always just look at the. I look at people for, and I see. I look at the, the the good qualities that they have, and I try to ignore the bad qualities, and yeah. um, and try to foster good in them, because too often in life, people are always pointing out what we're doing wrong. And I don't want to be part of that. I want to point out what we're doing good and just keep focusing on that. Yeah. And I think even just assuming the best in people is a good place to start because I think when people feel like we don't think the best of them, or we think maybe their intentions aren't 100% 100% pure, then mm-hmm. they're kind of like, well, why would I even try? You know, they've already mm-hmm. judged me. They've already, you know, thought this about me because of this other person or this other group of people that did this thing. And it's like that that's not inspiring to people. But I think what you've said, what I've heard you say is that being empathetic towards people mm-hmm. and and being true to who you are mm-hmm. are two really good places to start on mm-hmm. uh, living your truth and inspiring others to do that. And mm-hmm. for me, I mean, you know, if I've heard nothing else in this podcast, which by the way, it's been, it, it's been different than I thought it was going to be, but it's been so, so good. <laughs> um, the thing that just like the, the bell that keeps ringing is, empathy Mm -hmm. and and being true to who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, as someone who had a time in my life where that couldn't be, I I couldn't be empathetic and I couldn't be who I was, um, even just after I'm trying to figure out who I was, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so, it's so, it brings so much joy, but also so much um, hope to know that like, being who you are can be really inspiring and really good for people and people will respond to that and people will, uh, will see that and they'll want to emulate that Mm -hmm. and, and they'll want that same thing for the world. So I think, I mean, I asked you that question because I I like to hear people talk about those things Mm -hmm. because I think that, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's nothing big. Um, not realizing that it is big stuff. And so I, you know, I like hearing people kind of share about themselves and about what makes them tick and about, you know, why they're able to inspire in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, when other people can speak that into us and say, oh, well, you know, if I went to your office and said, you know, what do you think of Natalie? I'm sure people would be like, oh, she's, she's great. She's, she, you know, isn't afraid to roll up her sleeves and do the work alongside us. She, she's always saying great job. She's always encouraging. She's always, you know, well, they would lifting say, us up and joining us. Oh yeah. And they would say, you know, she's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> and and it's, I know if you were to ask anyone who's ever been on one of my teams, um, they would say that um, I am absolutely genuine and I care deeply about them and I only want the best for them. Um, and that I want to have, I have fun. I love having fun. I love life. Like I want the best out of everything. And so, you know, 
and they all know, I always tell them like, you know, we're on earth for such a short amount of time and it is up to us how we spend our time. So either we can be mad about something and let it rain on our parade or we can dance in the rain. So it's up to us and only we can control how we respond to a situation. And, 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 I, and, and so I always tell them that, like, it, it's up to us to make the best out of every single situation that we're put in, because as a grand scheme of things, we are so insignificant in this whole entire universe. So when you know that, how insignificant you really are, then spend your energy the way you want to. You know, being positive, be fun, being, you know, quirky or whatever it is, being yourself. Like, that's what you should spend your energy that way, not trying to be somebody else that people expect you to be. Be yourself, you know, spend energy the way that it's supposed to be. But the other thing, too, I think why I inspire people as well is that, you know, this whole notion of like, oh, I don't see color. I think that's like come on you see color I celebrate the differences of people that's what makes me unique is I celebrate that we all are different and I think that's what makes us so unique in this world because I'm like would we all want to look the same like that would be so boring like you know I, I think it's like or the fact that we have different cultures and that we make different foods and that we all look different. That's what makes the world so beautiful and inspiring to me. And I think that they see that I don't care if you, what your title is, I'm going to treat everybody the exact same way. And I think that also plays into how I inspire them is that, you know, when I do my trainings and people are like, I'm just a dishwasher. I'm like, do you not understand how important your job is to us and our success? You're not just a dishwasher. You're our dishwasher. We, uh, you know, because you're, you are so important to our success. You know, like you, your role is so important because if you're not washing the dishes, we're not going to be able to cook for our residents. You know, like it, it all goes into each other. And so I tell them like, I don't, I'm not interested in what position you have, how much money you make. We are going to treat everybody exactly the same and we're, but we're going to celebrate all of our differences because that's what it's beautiful, you know? And I think that that also, they, that inspires them. I think that too, that I, 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 everybody is treated the exact same, whether you got a billion, you know, they're like, well, Natalie, you know, people pay a lot of money to live here. I'm like, okay, that's great. But why would I treat them better than somebody who can't afford to live here? I think we're humans. You know, we should all be treated with a lot of dignity and respect. Doesn't matter how much money we have. And I will say, yeah, they have a lot of money, but they're not giving me a, a hundred million dollars. So that's not going to influence my decision. You know, I'm like, that's not going to happen. I'm going to always treat everyone I, I, equally as I possibly can. Yeah. Well, it's a question we always ask to wrap up, and this is going to be a difficult one, but um, if you could leave our listeners, and we like to really leave our, our young listeners, usually people starting out in their careers or, you know, who are soon to graduate, um, but, but anyone in general, if you could leave our listeners with one last thought or one last piece of advice or something that you've picked up along the way um 
I guess, what's the one thing that you would want to, you know, if they heard nothing else, the one thing that you want to make sure that they hear from you today? If you do not advocate for those that can't advocate for themselves, you might as well be the one causing the harm. And I say this because so many people in my first career knew I was being sexually harassed and did nothing. Um, And I don't know where I would be if someone had actually advocated for me because I felt I had no voice. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding. Well, Natalie, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I know that I have heard you and really appreciate your your thoughts and your uh, experience. And um, it's meant a lot to me and I hope, and I, I know that it'll mean a lot to our listeners as well. And so I just want to thank you, not just for coming on, but for being so vulnerable and sharing so much with us. Um, we really do appreciate it. And we love sharing stories like this because I think that we all are better when we hear them. So thank you for giving us your time today. My absolute pleasure. All right. Well, we hope you have a great day. We're looking forward to a brighter tomorrow and, uh, just keep doing what you're doing and, um, Make sure you let us know when you're organizing more of your protests or rallies. And I know we'll all stay safe and uh, distance as much as possible and wear masks when it's not. Yes, absolutely. All right. right. Yep. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.